This morning I want to speak to you concerning the end of gender. We're in a situation that it is important for us to discern the times we live in. One of the 12 tribes of Israel was the tribe of Issachar. And in 2 Chronicles, it doesn't say much about this tribe. Actually, it's 1 Chronicles chapter 12. It does say this. Concerning the sons of Issachar, they were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. When you consider this tribe, they're one of the smallest as they're listing the number of people that need to go to war per tribe, what they bring, what kind of military might. You'll see that the sons of Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, is a very small tribe. It didn't have many people, but in its placement going into battle, it was on the left flank as it would go forward. And the interesting thing about the sons of Issachar is basically it says this, They understood the times. They had an understanding and a reasoning from God on how to approach the the enemies of Israel. And it says this, not only did they discern the times and the trauma that they were in, but they knew what Israel should do. How many of you know that you want those as people in your leadership? People who discern and understand the climate that they're in and what the next step needs to be. And so the sons of Issachar are an important group concerning the tribes of Israel. The symbol for the sons of Israel, uh, the sons of Issachar, is a donkey. All right? It has nothing to do with Democrats. It has everything to do with their stubbornness and their willingness to stand between the sheepfold as the blessing came to them as a people who carried the burden. They carried the burden of the word of the Lord. They carried the weight of the glory and the truth of God. And they were stubborn as a mule to hold on to that burden and truth. And so they understood what needed to be due. They didn't waver from it. And they instructed Israel on how to accomplish this. The church needs sons of Issachar. How many of you believe that this morning? We need to understand the times we are in and to know what the people of God should do. Without this, we will only repeat ourselves unto tradition and be ineffective. We're not keepers of tradition. We're keepers of the word and the truth of God. It is prophetic. It is a presence of Christ now in our midst. And it is to be activated as the people of God would understand the days we live in. And may I say this morning to you that probably the most important social shift that's going to change our culture and human history are our restrooms. And I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. The concept of the gender restrooms is bigger than using restrooms between male, female, and transgenders. There's a bigger issue behind this that you need to discern the times and understand what we should do and how we should respond. I want to share with you a quote from Ricky Wilkins. Ricky Wilkins is a transgender, former, uh, a famous transsexual, and uh, he, she, as they prefer to be called, they, what re- says this, what really needs to be contested here is not just our right to use bathrooms with dignity. 
which would personally be very welcome. But the entire underlying heterobinary structuring of the world, queers must inhabit. And so what this person is saying, and first of all, he, she references the binary. That term is important to us to understand. Binary in math is two segments, two figures. And so the binary of our social existence is male and female, man and woman. Gender as we understand it, male and female. God made man in his image, male and female made he them. And so there's the masculine, the feminine, the male attracted to the woman and the woman, the man attracted to the man. And again, what Ricky Wilkins is saying is this needs to cease. They introduce a third aspect. So the necessary thing is to get rid of the dualistic system, the binary of male and female gender. So they want to say we are no longer male or female. We are neither. Okay? And so in that, they would like to be referred to as they or zer or her. Non-binary people don't identify as male or female. All right? Now, that's a major shift that's taking place. The statement, again, by non-binary people, those who don't register as male or female, they say this, we'll win the bathroom battle when the binary burns. So the next move of this agenda is not acceptance, but in fact the dissolving of the binary gender identity so that there is no longer an identity of male and female. What Stella Morabito says, senior contributor to the Federalist, uh, says this, what we are really talking about is the abolition of sex. And it is sex that the trans project is serving to abolish legally under the guise of something called the gender binary. Its end game is a society in which everyone is legally de-sexed. No longer legally male or female. And once you basically redefine humanity as sexless, you end up with a dehumanized society in which there can be no legal mother or father or son or daughter or husband or wife without the permission of the state. Government documents are already erasing the terms male and female. In such a society, the most intimate human relationships take a hit and the family ends up abolished. Again, the biggest issue in this, as the same with same-sex marriage, Stella goes on to say, sex distinctions are the germ of all human relationships. Abolishing them legally basically abolishes family autonomy. And this is an act of violence against children because it would serve at some point to separate them from their origins. And so this is really what's at stake here. The bathroom issue is more than a separate room, two rooms, one room. It's a bigger issue, always hidden in a lesser issue. So that actual laws will be passed that then can solidify the bigger issue. You would say, this will never happen. That's absolutely ridiculous. It can't happen. 
But we said that just about 10 years ago when we considered, and in fact two years ago, came to realize you would never redefine marriage. You can't redefine marriage. You can't say that you would strike, strike a law to redefine marriage. And so, surprise, gay marriage passed. We would never expect at any point for that to take place to literally change the structures legally of families. Then again, last year, we never would have suspected that the woman of the year would be Caitlyn Jenner, Glamour's woman of the year. Who would have expected this, that a man having a sex change operation would be heralded as brave, heroic, and wonderful? And so we then come to the issue of all-gender restrooms. Never going to happen. Yet on May 13, 2016, the Obama administration sent a letter to all public schools saying that they must allow all members of one biological sex who identify as transgender to use the same showers, the same locker rooms, and the same restrooms and housing accommodations as members of the opposite sex or risk losing federal funding. The guidance specifically forbids schools from requiring students to undertake any medical procedures before being classified as transgender. They do not need to have surgery or take hormone treatments. The instant a parent or a guardian tells the school district that his son or daughter now identifies as a member of the opposite sex, the school must comply with no further conditions. The Obama administration called this measure, which allows biological males to spend overnight field trips in the same hotel rooms as biological females, a common sense measure designed to foster safety. So again, it'll never happen, it'll never happen. And, and so this is quite ludicrous to consider that this would never happen. Um, it's next on the agenda. So we need to understand and discern the times we live in as believers and as those who hold the truth of God's Word. And so what we need to understand is how this is happening. Really, how could this happen in the nation when we have 1.7% of the population is lesbian and gay, yet they're lobbying far exceeds the percentage of those who oppose them. How can the lobbying of 1.7% of the population override the voting rights and everything else of the general population? One point, uh, let's see, oh yeah, that didn't work. Okay, so I'll have to fix that slide. But the bottom line is this, uh, concerning the transgender, if 1.7% is gay and is able to change and make the Supreme Court, not make, have the Supreme Court decide, decide on gay marriage, how is it that 0.3% of the population is transgender? And we have a declaration from the White House concerning transgender rights. 0.3%. 3% of the population is getting their way on this consideration. What's the history of this situation? 
In the 1980s, we knew that there were lesbians and gays, and they were standing up for, in parades and coming out throughout the 80s, declaring their desire for equal rights. In 1990, the B was added, bisexual. So then it was LGB. Bisexuals joined the parade and began to speak for their rights. Added to that in the late 90s was transgenders, the LGBT by the end of 1999. Now in the 2000 and by 2015, the Q was added. That is lesbian, gay, transgender, and queer. The Q stands for queer, which is best to reflect gender, sexuality, and politics. It goes beyond now the issue of sexual identity, but political identity as well. So the question is, what other letters are going to be added to the LGBTQ? I remember, and I've shared this story with you before, but it profoundly impacted me when, uh, I think it was two years ago, we were, I was at the courts in Detroit for uh, the state of Michigan when they were going to overturn the ballot that the Michigan voters had already decided concerning marriage amendment, that the marriage is only between a man and a wife voted in by the Michigan voters to stand. And the court in Detroit was going to overturn that. And a number of pastors, myself included, went down to Detroit to publicly declare that this needs to stand and it is the right thing to do. With us, marching with us, were a number of LGBTQ members walking in the same circle we were. And so there was a lesbian couple behind me that I began talking to and getting acquainted with, and we were discussing the situation. And as a Christian, I want to present the love of Jesus Christ and the heart of God. And as we began talking, we uh, talked about the issue at hand here, what they wanted, what we were talking about. At this point, the pastors separated, and they asked the pastors to march around the building and to sing and, and to make declaration. I felt that that was leaving the issue that I wanted to address, and that was to stay with this lesbian couple to share Jesus and to talk about where we stood with them. So the pastors went. As I was talking with them, I was saying, you need to understand the heart of what Christians are doing in these pastors. We're concerned. Our concern is this. This becomes a slippery slope, that when you redefine marriage, you basically are undefining marriage. And that by doing this, what would be the next situation? Their point of view was, we just want equal rights. I said, you have the rights to cohabitate. You have the rights to be married. What we want a license. We want to be recognized as married couple. And I said, the problem with this of redefining it is it could bring on the next step of a man having many wives or a wife having many husbands. And it also could change the age of consent to where pedophiles could now marry uh, young boys, young girls at any age. Her response to me was this, we would never allow that to happen. And I said, what do you mean? And she said that the gay and lesbians don't approve of pedophilia either. We would come and we would rally and boycott and fight against that. The irony of that 
is that that's exactly what I was there for, and it didn't matter. Because a judge could overturn whatever ruling even the voters decided as a majority, and no matter who was protesting, it didn't matter. And she didn't get it. She didn't realize, but she thought that if they protested too, it would never happen. The question is, the LG became LGB, became LGBT, became LGBTQ. It very easily could become LGBTQP for pedophiles. Because why not? They would rather have their rights as well. So how does this happen? Marriage is redefined in 2015 and transgenderism is now at the forefront in 2016 with this bathroom issue. Is there a gay agenda? And you're going to see that, well, of course there's not a gay agenda. There's a number of videos and a number of things on YouTube where the gay community says, there's no gay agenda. The only agenda is we want equal rights. We want to be able to love each other and be accepted. And so that's a beautiful sentiment, to love each other. Can people love each other? Yes. Can two males love each other? Yes. Can two females? Yeah. We can love each other. And so many times when a gay agenda is brought up, it's, it's ridiculed. And gay people are nice people, friendly people. Many of you have relatives, family members that are gay people. And they're good people, loving people, wonderful people who want to love each other. I mean, Ellen's a neat gal. She's a great gal. And I'm not going to say anything negative about her. But there is a gay agenda. You cannot have 1.7% of the population and 0.3% of the population ruling our Supreme Courts, our media, and everything else without an agenda. So let's not pretend that there isn't an agenda. And it was declared in the Gay Manifesto, as it's called, in the book After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Six points were listed in this book, and let me read them to you, and you tell me if there's been an agenda or not. Number one, desensitizing and normalizing of homosexuality in mainstream America, and should I say the world, talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. Number two, portray members of the LGBTQ community as victims. Indoctrinate mainstream America that members of the LGBTQ community were born that way. Number three, give protectors a just cause. In other words, those who begin to favor this movement are now anti-discrimination and believe in civil rights. And so millennials and the younger generation has a new civil rights movement, and that's for the LGBTQ, which makes them feel that they are helping the underdog. Number four, the use of TV, music, film, and social media to desensitize mainstream Americans to their plight as gay people. Five, portray gays and lesbians as pillars in society, make gays look good. There are many good, again, as I say, let's not be foolish here, there there are many gay people who do great and good things in a society, but we're concerned about the laws that are changing marriage and the issue of uh, binary or taking away sexual identity. Once homosexuals have begun to gain acceptance, anti-gain opponents must be vilified, causing them to be viewed as repulsive outcasts of society. And that's what you're considered if you are a Christian who says 
homosexuality is a sin. You've now become vilified and you are now a hater. I've never been called a hater before a year and a half ago when I was in Lansing before the Capitol building as I was protesting the issue of same-sex marriage. And a woman that was being interviewed there was a um, pastor, a woman pastor, had a collar on, and as she was being interviewed, she was speaking about how these Christians and pastors are all hypocrites and uh, homophobes and haters, and that Jesus himself was a homosexual, uh, as you could see how John uh, had laid his head on his bosom and they had relationships. After the interview, I went up to the uh, woman pastor and I said, could I ask you a question? And she said, get away from me, you hater. I said, I just have a question. I just wanted to know, did you actually believe that John, she said, I will not talk to haters. I want nothing to do with haters. Get away from me, you hater. I thought, I just wanted to ask you a question and have dialogue. And that's the way to shut down discussion. And so we need to discern the times we're in. There's a pressure on us. It's a difficult situation to be in, to share the love of Jesus, and especially with people, family members and loved ones, that are gay, and to say, I love you, Jesus loves you, but this is what the Word of God says. And so it becomes difficult, doesn't it? It becomes hard. And we will be identified as haters. And you need to make a decision as to what you're going to do. Because we've got a problem even in the church. Concerning the church right now, 62% of mainline Protestant denominations favor gay marriage. 33% oppose. That's the church. The mainline Christian denomination, 60%, 62%. That's over half now. I imagine that's going to rise. So where are you, evangelical, fundamental believers, where are you going to stand? Right now you're in the 33% of the nation. Beyond that, 63% of Christians say there's no conflict between their religious beliefs and homosexuality. Now that's, again, the majority of Christians who say there's no conflict between religious belief and homosexuality. What do you do with this? Bible. What do we do with this? We throw it at gay people. No, you don't do that. That'll get you nowhere. We need to discern the times and know what the church should do. What should we do? We present the gospel in love, but we speak the truth in love. And there's an understanding here that you need to have and you need to discern. Let's go to God and sex. God developed sex. God thinks sex is good. He designed it purposefully. And what Judeo-Christianity did in the history of the then-known world is, number one, made God sexless. As God revealed himself to Abraham, he revealed himself as God the Spirit, Yahweh. God was sexless in the sense that he did not have sex as God. That's important because every other known religion in the world 
had their deities having sex. Roman gods, Greek gods, Phoenician gods, Sumerian gods, every god of every civilization had sex involved with it. God is the God of creation and created sexual beings, male and female. This is key. So now we see that God originates sex and therefore God calls sex holy and pure. He designs it for a purpose. So Judaism and Christianity see that God put authority and controls over sex to be defined for those and reserved in covenant relationship, to be fruitful and to multiply. And so sex was given to mankind for the sake of being in a covenant relationship. God then defines sex apart from adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and pedophilia, and bestiality. He restricted it from all of those abuses. Now let's ask the question, why? Did those things not exist? And so this book is antiquated and old. God didn't realize that sex was going to evolve much further. No, absolutely not. After the fall, all of those perversions came in. The reason God put restrictions in the law against adultery and fornication i'm not just picking out homosexuality i'm speaking about holy sexuality god's design which sets judaism and christianity apart from all other world religions and as he established the restrictions it was to protect the society and the nation of israel as apart from every other nation this is why israel flourished this is why christianity flourished and western civilization has flourished over these thousands of years because of god's prescriptions for sexual identity the reason he prohibited adultery fornication and homosexuality is because there was a problem with adultery fornication homosexuality and bestiality it's nothing new and god prescribed its restraints so that the society could be well some would say oh yeah well under levitical law then do you want us to kill and stone homosexuals of course not christ fulfilled the law and that law was for the society of israel But now to the general uh, population of the entire world, we have Christ who took our punishment for us and he has a solution through the indwelling Holy Spirit, through the ministry of God's forgiveness and grace to bring healing to whatever sexual situation there is, whether it be adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and so forth. And so Christ is our solution and Christ is the answer. Do you actually believe that as a people? Because you're in the minority if you do. And if you believe that sexuality is holy and that the Word of God describes the best situation for a society to live under, then you're again in the minority, but you are again speaking the truth of God's Word. Will you hold fast to it is the question. And that is the big question for each one of us. This is what set Western civilization above every other civilization 
it elevated the value of covenant life and marriage as the central essential for the building block of any community and society that has been attacked you need to understand that what is being attacked here with gay marriage and now transgender bathrooms is not just ideologies but the word of god christianity and if the church has any value in society at all that is what is actually under attack and it is simply being marginalized and you have a majority of the church accepting this move of social changes we have a binary creation male and female and so the goal is to no longer have male and female but a sexless society now okay this is a downer sermon what are we going to do about it this is the question and so we have to decide as a people of god what we're going to do again it makes it more difficult to be an American citizen in this nation with these things taking place and being enforced legally. What may happen is you may have to decide, as the early church did, is to obey and honor all leaders except when they contradict the Word of God. You're going to have to make a choice and make a stand. Can we love someone who doesn't agree with us? Absolutely. We are commanded to love those, even our enemies. Homosexuals are not our enemies, although they may feel that we're their enemy. We know that we're at war in the heavenlies. We know that there are spirits behind this and there is a move behind this to cripple the church. You can't cripple the church if the church stays faithful to the Word of God. Amen? The key is staying faithful to the Word of God. 63% of the church has not and has abandoned it. We're moving into a new era. We're moving into a new time. And you need to understand this, folks. We, number one, need to understand the times. This isn't the Andy Griffith Show anymore. And though we like watching the Andy Griffith Show, the Andy Griffith Show was white average America. There was a lot of people who didn't enjoy the Andy Griffith Show because while that was being played out, their lives were being attacked and destroyed. So let's get real. Let's understand something. The American dream and objective really never did accomplish all that it had intended to. And now it's being swayed even further. What we need to understand is the day we live in, the times we live in. Don't live with your head in the sand. Don't think you can ignore the LGBTQ, especially if you have children. Don't think that if I ignore it, it'll go away. We as the church need to be totally engaged with our culture, with the Word of God. We need to move into these times and understand something. Now, secondly, we need to know what to do. What you need to do, first of all, is study the Word of God 
to understand it. Everybody in this room should understand the biblical arguments concerning homosexuality and the Bible. There are many cheap shots at the Bible that most Christians can't even defend concerning homosexuality. There are great websites, great essays, great books out there that will help you understand why the Bible says what it says and how to defend it. Secondly, you need to be in the marketplace having discussions and conversations with gay, lesbian, transgender, homosexuals. They're all around you. They're folks in your community. And be a light to them. Don't run away and hide. Don't be shy. Shine the light of God's love. There's a remedy here for every problem and situation. Do you understand that? Now, let me help you understand one thing. You cannot build a society and a culture on these basic sins that are defined in Scripture. We know through history that civilizations will fall because of sin. And so, what am I saying as a people? You have to be ready for the moral collapse that's coming to the world. Because this agenda can't last. Marriages are going to fail more than ever. Homosexual unions are going to fail. Transgender issues, people getting involved, are going to fail. The health risks, I could go, and I'm not going to take the time today, but the health risks, health risks and problems that are statistically proven for the gay and homosexual lifestyle are profoundly worse than they are for heterosexuals. So what are we, the church, going to do about it? Say, oh good, you got what you deserved. No, we would never dare say that because every one of us thanks God we didn't get what we deserved. We need to be the people who are ready to be there when this thing fails, when it collapses. We don't need I told you so's. This thing's already set sail. It's one thing to stand on the dock and wave goodbye to the Titanic and have a word saying, don't leave, don't leave, don't go. But once that ship sets sail, what are you going to do? Stand on the dock? If you know the Titanic's sinking, what are you going to do? Can I tell you the Titanic already left the dock? Where was the church? We could, we could rail against the church. Why? How did we ever get this way? How did we get there? At this point, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What, what my father and forefathers of the church should have done, it didn't happen. But on my watch, it doesn't matter. I can't blame anybody and it doesn't matter for me to blame. I've been to the courthouses. I've been picketing. I've been speaking up. I've been doing all that and at this point it doesn't matter. The ship went out to sea and I know it's morally bankrupt and it is going to sink and people are going to die. What does the church need to do now? Are you with me? Discern the times and know what should the church do now? We should get in the lifeboats and go to the Titanic.
That's where the church should be. Rescue the perishing. You with me? But pastor, we told them it was wrong and they went ahead anyways. Sounds like you. We were all in that boat. Where does the church belong? Standing outside the gates of hell and rescuing every soul on its way there. Not afraid of the gates of hell, but pushing them back. We need to be caring and concerned. And so we need to be actively involved sharing the love of God. Why? Because there is this equation that cannot be defeated. Where sin abounds. Come on. Yeah. So where sin abounds, say it, grace much more abounds. That will never be defeated. So whether the church, true remnant of Jesus, gets to a place where we are 1.7%, I don't know. The percentages never matter. Because as long as the church is on the earth, it's the body of Christ and faith is found in the church. And so, bottom line is, we're in a new age, we're in a new era, we're in a new America, we're in a new culture, we're in a new world. We're in the new age. Deal with it. Don't pretend you wish you were back somewhere else. You're here. The ship left. This stuff is becoming law. We've tried to lobby. We've tried to do what we could. This thing is too big and it's already underway. There's an agenda beyond us, but there's a greater agenda. All we need to know is that we're ready for it and we're ready to preach the gospel. This ship is sinking and we've got the lifeboats. Have that understanding, sons of Issachar. We're here to pick up the pieces of people's broken lives. So there's no place for anger and there's no place for fear. There's a place for redemption and the power of grace to heal these lives. We're going to be the church that it's going to go forth and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We shall cast out demons and we shall speak with new tongues and deadly things will not harm us. We're going to be the church that is going to rescue the perishing and be there for those who have gone the way of culture and have found themselves in the muck and mire of sin. Let me leave you with this. The Bible tells us that when Christ returns and it's the end times, He's going to give sickles to the angels for there will be a great harvest to gather. Could I ask you something? In order for there to be a great harvest, you need to do a lot of what? Planting seeds. So the harvest is coming. It's our call and our watch to plant the seeds. This is the hour. To not run and throw up your hands and say it's over. This is when the church gets to work. 
Because when people are left to their own devices and left to their own sins and left to this level of perversion, it's what fueled the Reformation of Martin Luther. It's what fueled the Wesley brothers to bring Europe back to God. It's what fueled those who came to America and brought Jonathan Edwards and revivalism to the United States. It was the power of sin flooding through the land, but the power of grace that abounded greater than that sin that brought revivals, that planted seeds, and brought a great harvest of souls. Get ready, people, for the moral collapse of this society, and as a church, be there with love and be there with redemption. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Stand with me. Amen. Amen and amen. Stand with me this morning.